Hey folks, this is Jesse Cope, back with another episode of the American Soul Podcast. Hope y'all are doing well, wherever you are, whatever part of the day it is for you. And thank y'all for giving me a little bit of your time. For those of y'all that continue to share the podcast, thank you so much. I'm ever grateful for it and humbled by it. We're going to take one of our little walks down the road. It is pretty windy, so I'm going to see if I can kind of stay out of most of that based on our experience recently. I have one kitty cat you might be able to hear in the background with me so far. Dogs seem content to stay up on the porch. and No birds or children's or little wife as of yet. So we're going to go to Patrick Henry. I think we've talked about him, well, we have, we talk about him often, but this speech, we're going to read through his Give Me Liberty or Give Me Death speech, which was given on March the 23rd, 1775, and this is, you can pull this, obviously, a number of places. I'm pulling it again from the Avalon Project, which is out of Yale. There's quite a few good documents here. I've talked about it before, but... There's a couple of things I want to note throughout the speech, and so I'm going to stop. One of them in particular is the number of biblical references. And so every once in a while, I'm just going to point a couple out in case you're not familiar with them or just just to make the point, folks, just to show again, time and time again, everything from our founding, uh, I just... As Wilson said, as President Wilson said, we were born a Christian nation, and this idea that we're not, which has been wreaking such havoc for the last 80 years or so, is just completely unfounded and and untrue. No man thinks more highly than I do of the patriotism, as well as the abilities of the very worthy gentlemen who have just addressed the House. But different men often see the same subject in different lights, and therefore, I hope it will not be thought disrespectful to those gentlemen if I entertain, as I do, opinions of a character very opposite to theirs. Sorry, I lost my place for a second. I shall speak forth my sentiments freely and without reserve. This is no time for ceremony. The question before the House is one of awful moment to this country. For my own part, I consider it as nothing less than a question of freedom or slavery. And in proportion to the magnitude of the subject ought to be the freedom of the debate. It is only in this way that we can hope to arrive at truth and fulfill the great responsibility which we hold to God and our country. Should I keep back my opinions at such a time, through fear of giving offense, I should consider myself as guilty of treason towards my country, and an act of disloyalty toward the majesty of heaven, which I revere above all earthly kings. There's a couple things in this first section, folks, that I think are really pertinent to today. One... The choice before us today really is, again, freedom or slavery. 
We can either turn back to God as a nation and to the founding principles, the teachings of Christ of this country, and liberty and freedom, which can only be had spirit of God. Or we can turn toward slavery and oppression and totalitarianism that come with the, the, there's no other way that we say so often the godless values of the left. And we're going to talk about this. I've talked about it a little bit over the past couple of weeks, stumbled across this Churchill biography years ago, but the section that I'm reading right now is so interesting because there's so many similarities between late 1920s and early 30s Germany, culturally, folks, socially, and a lot of what we see going on today in America from the left right now. The other thing that from this first section that I think is so, so important is so often in this country, you hear the silent majority, that phrase, well, you know, a lot there's, there's a few people that are just really loud and they want these, these really fringe values of the left, right? Just a few, but the silent majority, you hear it a lot when people talk about Reagan and, and you really hear it today. Most of Americans, we really want the right thing. Well, folks, the time for being silent is long since passed. The silent majority is what's got us here. And I understand, because I was raised this way about not talking about politics and money and sex and religion, you know, really diversive or divisive topics in, in public conversation. I mean, I get it. There's a little bit of manners and politeness and just common sense that goes along with that. But the problem is if you stay silent so long that it gives evil a foothold, then then we're doing more harm than good. And what Patrick Henry says here when he's talking about should I keep back my opinions at such a time through fear of giving offense? I should consider myself guilty of treason towards my country and disloyalty toward God. We're at that point, folks. All of these things, this, this cancel culture that you hear so much about, this, this woke ideology. Those of us that actually stand for the truth, that stand for our history and our heritage based on the teachings of Christ, that stand for life, that stand for marriage, that stand for godly roles of men and women, that stand for God and in our institutions, uh, that stand against bigotry and for all men being treated equally under the law. The time for holding back our opinions is gone. That door has shut. Mr. President, it is natural to a man to indulge in the illusions of hope. We are apt to shut our eyes against a painful truth and listen to the song of that siren till she transforms us into beasts. Is this the part of wise men engaged in a great and arduous struggle for liberty? Are we disposed to be of the number of those who, having eyes, see not? 
and having ears hear not. The things which so nearly concern their temporal salvation. For my part, whatever anguish of spirit it may cost, I am willing to know the whole truth, to know the worst, and to provide for it. Having eyes see not, having ears hear not. That's a direct reference to the Bible, multiple places, which, again, is just the speech is chock full of these little things, as is so much of our history. And I really need to. I'm going to have to take a break here, folks, and switch back. I've got to find this real quick. Bear with me. This quote, which comes from John Quincy Adams, I'm going to start to read this quote more often, kind of like I do with John Adams, with his father, talking about our Constitution, our government, was only created for more religious people. President John Quincy Adams, with regard to the history contained in the Bible, it is not so much praiseworthy to be acquainted with it, acquainted with it, as it is shameful to be ignorant of it. The point, folks, today, the problem we have, it, it shouldn't be unusual to know the Bible, but it is. And, and, and it's not that there's praise so much in those that know the Bible, although that's what it's become today. The problem is it should be, it should be a problem. It, it should be something, a, a, a little bit of shameful, folks, that we don't know it better. And if we knew it better, A, it would change our personal and family married life dramatically, which we've got to have. But B, when we read through these historical documents, we would catch all these little things. And so when somebody tried to tell us, oh, well, this isn't a Christian nation, we could kind of just chuckle at them a little bit and start to point out the number of references over and over and over again that are in these documents in our foundation, our heritage. The other thing here is whatever anguish of spirit it may cost, I'm willing to know the whole truth, to know the worst, and provide for it. I've been putting off a couple of podcasts, and I keep kind of kicking on them. We talk about it every once in a while, and I'll talk about it again. But two of the biggest things that are really eating away and have been for decades in our country are marriage and roles of men and women. And... And you could add to that today roles of parents and their how we how we parent, particularly in reference to athletics, but but even to entertainment. And those are some conversations that we've been as a culture ignoring because a we don't want to offend anybody and b we're really honestly we're scared because nobody wants to talk about the fact that men and women do have specific roles. And that pretending that those roles are interchangeable, that's not okay. That's why we've gotten where we're at. And, and so those are, we're going to have to talk about that at some point, despite my reluctance. I have but one lamp by which my feet are guided, and that is the lamp of experience. I know of no way of judging the future, but by the past. And judging by the past, I wish to know what there has been in the conduct of the British ministry for the last 10 years to justify those hopes with which the gentlemen have been pleased to solace themselves in the house. 
Is it that insidious smile with which our petition has been lately received? Trust it not, sir. It will prove a snare to your feet. Another biblical reference there. Couple. Suffer not yourselves to be betrayed with a kiss. That's how Judas betrayed Jesus Christ. Ask yourselves how this gracious reception of our petition compares, comports, with those warlike preparations which cover our waters and darken our land. Are fleets and armies necessary to work to a work of love and reconciliation? Have we shown ourselves so unwilling to be reconciled that force must be called in to win back our love? Let us not deceive ourselves, sir. These are the implements of war and subjugation, the last arguments to which kings resort. I ask, gentlemen, sir, what means this martial array, if its purpose be not to force us to submission? Can gentlemen assign any other possible motive for it? Has Great Britain any enemy in this quarter of the world to call for this accumulation of navies and armies? No, sir, she has none. They are meant for us. They can be meant for no other. They are sent over to bind and rivet upon us those chains which the British ministry have been so long forging. And what have we to oppose them? What have we to oppose to them? Shall we try argument? Sir, we have been trying that for the last 10 years. Have we anything new to offer upon the subject? Nothing. We have held the subject up in every light of which it is capable, but it has been all in vain. Shall we resort to entreaty and humble supplication? What terms shall we find which have not already been exhausted? Let us not, I beseech you, sir, deceive ourselves. Sir, we have done everything that could be done to avert the storm which is now coming. We have petitioned, we have remonstrated, we have supplicated, we have prostrated ourselves before the throne, and have implored its interposition to arrest the tyrannical hands of the ministry and parliament. Our petitions have been slighted, our remonstrances have produced additional violence and insult, our supplications have been disregarded. And we have been spurned with contempt from the foot of the throne. In vain, after these things, may we indulge the fond hope of peace and reconciliation. There is no longer any room for hope. If we wish to be free, if we mean to preserve inviolate those inestimable privileges for which we have been so long contending, if we mean not to basely to abandon the noble struggle in which we have been so long engaged and which we have pledged ourselves never to abandon until the glorious object of our contest shall be obtained. We must fight. I repeat it, sir, we must fight. An appeal to arms and to the God of hosts is all that is left us. There's a lot in that section, but the bottom line is, folks, we have been trying almost every way possible to reconcile with people that stand for the values of the left. And we list those values quite often, but the, really the core values of the left, as you see by their own actions, are 
rejection of God from our institutions, from our history, almost trying to whitewash it to wipe it clean, abortion, murder of our own children, LGBTQ relationships, feminism, the distortion of of roles for men and women and the destruction of the family, the destruction of marriage, more important than that, flooding the country with criminals via illegal immigration, socialism, communism, despite the horrors that the 20th century showed both of those bring through the Nazis, which were a socialist party in name, they admitted that openly, communists, USSR, China, tens of millions, tens upon tens of millions of, of people slaughtered and murdered. Uh, that's another value of the left that they openly cling to. Bigotry, the critical race theory, just the, the everyday bigotry that you see of changing standards uh, for different different standards for different groups, both in education, in the military, the police, firefighters, just all of these folks, these just really at the, at the bottom baseline evil values We've tried for years and years, decades, through a number of different ways to convince people that stand for these values that that, that wasn't okay, but there's no stopping them, folks. They're, they're not going to stop voluntarily. That's like assuming that a, that a husband that beats their wife is suddenly magically going to stop of their own volition. There's been no evidence of that. Just like with Patrick Henry here, there there was no evidence that the British were suddenly going to come back to their senses and suddenly going to reconcile with the American colonists. There is no, no sense at all, no, no proof in action at all to assume that the left is suddenly, that our neighbors, our family, our friends that continue decade after decade to support to vote for, to be indifferent to these evil values that they're suddenly going to change. And so at some point, folks, we've got to realize that we probably have a fight coming or, or as he says here, if we're not just going to just go into slavery, if we, if we wish to preserve freedom and liberty, we're going to have to reconcile that we've got some really dark, painful days coming and really start to to prepare mentally, physically, spiritually for that. They tell us, sir, that we are weak, unable to cope with so formidable an adversary. But when shall we be stronger? Will it be next week or the next year? Will it be when we are totally disarmed and when a British guard shall be stationed in every house? Shall we gather strength by irresolution and inaction? Shall we acquire the means of effectual resistance by lying supinely on our backs and hugging the delusive phantom of hope until our enemies shall have bound us hand and foot? Sir, we are not weak if we make proper use of those means which the God of nature hath placed in our power. The millions of people armed in a holy cause of liberty and in such a country as that which we possess are invincible by any force which our enemy can send against us. Besides, sir, <coughs> we shall not fight our battles alone. There is a just God who presides over the destinies of nations and who will raise up friends to fight our battles for us. This again, a couple of biblical 
verse references there. The battle, sir, is not to the strong alone. It's to the vigilant, the active, the brave. Besides, sir, we have no election. If we were base enough to desire it, it is now too late to retire from the contest. There is no retreat but in submission and slavery. Our chains are forged. Their clanking may be heard on the plains of Boston. The war is inevitable. And let it come. I repeat it, sir. Let it come. It is in vain, sir, to extenuate the matter. Gentlemen may cry, peace, peace. But there is no peace. The war has actually begun. The next gale that sweeps from the north will bring to our ears the clash of resounding arms. Our brethren are already in the field. Why stand we here idle? What is it that gentlemen wish? What would they have? Is life so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, almighty God. I know not what course others may take. But as for me, give me liberty or give me death. I can't ever help when I read the last lines of this speech, folks, in thinking about Joshua's words to the Israelites. I know not what course you may take, but as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. The choice is freedom and liberty versus slavery and submission, folks. We may be in a cold war now, civil war that is, but but it won't stay cold forever if we really decide that we want freedom and liberty. The only way, as Reagan said in his time for choosing speech, the only way for guaranteed peace is to surrender immediately, and then you immediately get peace. Use that term in quotes. You're not really getting peace. You're getting whatever, whatever the other side dictates, whatever slavery and submission looks like. And for us here in the United States today, that slavery and submission would be to those evil values that the left stands for. Those are the choices today before us, folks. Those really are the only two choices. You can see it in our history. You can see it in the history of other nations. We're going to talk again about Churchill from this biography, probably at some point in the next few podcasts. You, you can see the repetition of, of actions that occurred in Nazi Germany versus some of the things going on today. You can see the, the same trend in socialism and communism in Stalinist Russia and Maoist China, in Cuba, some of the socialist communist countries across the world. It's the same pattern every time. So we're, we're deluding ourselves, as, as Patrick Henry says here, we're holding on to this phantom of hope and deluding ourselves that there can be some kind of reconciliation between people that stand for our founding faith and principles and those that stand for the values of the left. And this isn't just on a national level, folks. This is really, more importantly, probably on a, on a local level, on a community level. You, you can only turn a blind eye for so long, and, and we've reached that point. Sure do appreciate y'all sticking with me. Sorry that I went so long, but it's a great speech. It's really important. It's one of the speeches that we ought to know some of the parts of 
Uh, but, but of course, there's so much that we ought to know in our hearts, uh, much more important than having movie lines or a lot of things from culture memorized. Uh, and again, that quote from John Quincy Adams start to lean on that a little more, you know, it's not so much praiseworthy folks to know the Bible as it is worthy of condemnation that we don't know the Bible. And if we knew it a little better, we would see our own history a little bit more clearly. Fitting to end with Henry's comments, y'all remember, you have a sphere of influence, and wherever you have that sphere of influence, exercise it. Talk to other people. And, and, and don't be silent about it. There's, there's, you don't have to be rude, but we need to be firm in our resolve and, and talk to other people and say, no, this is, as Reagan said again in that time for choosing speech, there's a line to be drawn and say, no, we're, we're not going to go any further. And we're so far past the line that we've got to turn around. As C.S. Lewis said, if you want to get back on the right track, you want to really make progress, we've got to turn way back around and get to a point decades ago if we're really going to make progress. God bless you all. God bless your families. God bless America. We'll talk to you all again real soon. Looking forward to it, folks. Thank you all so much.